Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening to us this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend and say positive things about us on Twitter and Facebook. This is how podcasts grow. If you've not yet given us a five-star rating or review, pause your recording and give us a five-star rating and review. Follow us on Twitter at, at @clergylay, or you can just hunt for Haber Bros and join our Facebook discussion group. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a suddenly older priest. Chris, how are you in the wake of your birthday in which you achieved manhood? How are you? Kirk, I'm, I'm great. Uh, I don't know, but the suddenly older thing, it's, you know, an it's additional... sudden. It's sudden. You were 39, now and 40. then suddenly you were 40. That's sudden. Fine, you're right. Uh, it was sudden. Uh, Kirk, I'm great. I'm a little on the tired side. I was at a an event today where there was a turkey dinner served. Oh, oh, oh. And Kirk, oh, always fantastic. Fantastic. But I'm, I'm city. In, in a bit of a tryptophan food coma. Uh, so if I that is my excuse for whatever happens this afternoon. Uh, Kirk, on Sunday, uh, we watched one of the most amazing football games uh, in Orchard Park, New York, um, as the Minnesota Vikings prevailed over the Buffalo Bills, mm. Uh, mm. a game where they came back sorry. from a Sorry, seven- Father Joe. Sorry, Father Joe. I know, I know another bit of your heart broke. A 17-point second-half deficit um, to, to win the game. It, Kirk, I it took me – over an hour to come down from that game. Like I was, I was, what did you do? I had to go for a walk. Like I like <laughs> vigorously, vigorously walked the dog. Like she came back and like, she like dragged her. Swamp. Like, like... Uh, I, I, I just kept saying to my family, like what's going on with my heart? Like it's racing. Like it's still racing. What is happening? Do I have a heart you, condition now? You check, you check your Apple watch. You're like, why does it say 174? Is that a real number? This was like 30 minutes after the game. <laughs> like, that, and that was interesting of, of just how like, woo, like it took me a while to, to come down from that. Um, and, and, uh, come down. I did because we had, uh, our, uh, church's, uh, four year, uh, celebration, um, Yay. that Happy evening birthday, on Sunday resurrection. Night. Happy birthday. Um, so, so that was amazing. Uh, I had to come down to earth to, you know, to, just to uh, attend that and, and focus on that. But Kirk in Orchard Park, New York, this weekend, this is how even the bills more are rewarded spectacular. with their heartbreaking loss. Let's just say that we live in very boring places. Um, I envy the lake effect snow that Buffalo, New York gets. Uh, this sun, this weekend, they are forecast to get three to six, not inches, feet, feet of snow. And you were remarking, Kirk. Um, how tall is uh, Devin Singletary, the running back for the <laughs> Buffalo Bills? Uh, the, the, the talented running back for the Bills that doesn't get the ball very much because they just play backyard football where, where Josh Allen slings it wherever. He is five or feet runs seven. wherever. Yeah, he is five feet seven. So if they get these six feet, I was speculating like Devin <laughs> Singletary is lost. And then the uh, the Browns running back, Nick Chubb, I looked it up. He's 5'11". <laughs> so like the running backs are gone, man. They're gone. <laughs> and, you know, we've seen in the past, uh, you know, pictures of like w- when a st- lake effect snow storm hits where um, there's semis just stopped on the highway for days. Like there's like six feet of snow around them. They were driving. Suddenly they couldn't. And like 
you know, people shoveling out, um, they can't open their doors because, um, like the, their entire front door of their house is covered in snow. It's going to be one of those deals where, uh, the, the news just came out that they moved the game to Detroit, um, because Ooh. it takes literally days to remove that much snow from a city to clear the the roads the sidewalks to clear even the stadium um like when there's six feet yeah. inside the stadium like there's no you can't walk around you can't sit in the seats so have you heard like buffalo and um what's it erie county which is the surrounding county as well as erie pennsylvania um have won uh, transportation awards for snow removal because it's a life or death matter right they can't have sure like the rest of us live with probably fairly crummy infrastructure because it only needs to be good in most of America, north of the Mason Dixon line, like three times a year. Right. But if you're, if you're Erie or Buffalo, it's gotta be good like eight times a year. And it's gotta be like, you know, great 20 inches good. <laughs> right. Like when they yeah. get the, the real lake effect stuff. So actually I think Buffalo is, is, is quite efficient, but like when you're, when you have five, six feet, like at some point you just say uncle and you wait <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no waiting. It's 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 right. just the the sheer volume. Right, it, right, it right just, yeah. yeah. Do you remember this book, um, Christopher? I don't even. I must have been like five. Um, so I I don't know if you have any memory of it. It was one of my favorite childhood books, and it's of a kind of a small town in like 1930s America that gets snowed in, and it's of like it's sort of like the little engine that could, but of a snowplow. Hmm. <laughs> like and the snowplow keeps chugging along and he's got to get like his motivation is he's got to get um the the policeman home because his wife is waiting with a tub of um like warm water to warm his feet like by the franklin stove like it's very norman rockwell-ish old-timey hmm. and i have i have this distinct image of these um of these illustrations it was it was it was delightful and i don't even know if it was at home or at one of our grandmothers um, but it's it's a very like Buffalo, New York style thing. But we're not going to see any of that. Right. And it's in it's in it's in Detroit. Yeah, it's in Detroit. Uh, I'm sure we'll we'll be able, we won't see it on TV with the football game, but I'm sure we'll see like we're a very connected world. We'll see uh, pictures and video of just comical like snow drifts and people like sh shoveling their walk um, and having, you know, six foot snow drifts on either right. side. And then right. throwing the snow over those. Hey, we got we got snow. We got snow um on was it Tuesday? Monday, Tuesday? Tuesday. It was Tuesday. We got so much snow, in fact, that uh that my wife, who is uh at a conference in State College, that's where Pennsylvania is. Pennsylvania, that's where Penn State is. Yeah, I um, I just love whoever named that, Kirk. Uh it's it's great. They're it's like, what the, should we name our town? And everyone looks around in uh, panic uh, with a blank uh, stare uh was there a deadline that they had to like um uh uh looking around the room uh um what's what's here uh can we call it hilltown no can't call it hilltown yeah so How about state college yeah my wife got snowed in she tried to leave um and then gave up and drove back and in the process of driving back drove off the road Oh. And I spent I spent uh, an an hour navigating through a very disheartening phone automated phone tree for AAA, um, talking to four different reps who were in that told me that I was in called the wrong club, um, just because I had called the number that was on my card, for them to finally tell me like, yes, this is a weather emergency and we can't help. Call nine one one. So. Uh, it ended up being a lovely exercise in kind of the goodness of small town America. Um, do you remember when we were when we were growing up in the 90s, there was this I don't think it did well. It was a comedy um, about Nicolas Cage. And so it was a dark comedy trapped in paradise, right? Trapped in paradise. That's right. Um, getting snowed in in rural, rural central Pennsylvania. Um, which if you're not from Pennsylvania, you probably picture Pennsylvania like Philadelphia or maybe Pittsburgh. But what you don't know is there are these mountains in the middle. And um, it's sort of like Vermont. <laughs> like 
Um, like there's snowstorms and it's small town America and it's hard to get from here to there. You have these like long mountain ranges where if you're on the one side of the ridge, you have to drive, drive 20 miles north to get around the ridge. It's like really interesting topographically. Anyhow, my wife was trapped in, 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 in this part of small town America and she counted seven good Samaritans who, while she wow. was waiting for the tow truck to come and get her, who stopped, um, a lady, I, I was joking with her, like, were you the, like the talk of the town? This was shout out to Unionville, Pennsylvania, um, just Northwest of uh, State College. I'm like, were you the talk of the town? Some lady brought her hot chocolate. She had a fire truck check on her. She had three cops check on her. <laughs> this like lovely, like when, uh, when, when kind of corporate America breaks down and no longer cares about you. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you, AAA. Like uh, the, the goodness of like, the local, the local infrast, like the local volunteer fire department, just kind of checking up, checking up on like the people that drove off the road, you know, a mile north of town, just remarkable. So she finally got back on the road and, and drove back to state college. And then it was all melted on Wednesday morning and came back. So that's been, that's been our, our adventure and um, harrowing at the time, like not fun driving off the road, like Kim was shaken. And then, and then like remarkably reassured that, um, there's still like thick, the communities that are full of thick networks um, of of hospitality and caring. So. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned there's seven good Samaritans. Makes me <laughs> really wish that, that that was our gospel reading. Sadly, um, not but, our gospel reading. Not at all. But one might say uh, she was not the king of the road on that day. No, she was not. No. Should we move on to the gospel reading, Kirk? Let's. Today's gospel reading comes from Luke chapter 23, verses 35 through 43. And the people stood by, watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who was um, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. But he said, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is our gospel reading here as we close out the Christian year, um, the last Sunday of our calendar, our Christian calendar year or liturgical calendar. It's Christ the King Sunday. And uh, interesting that uh, although, you know, Pilate was skeptical about the guilt of him, also um, he was tagged an insurrectionist. And so it would be common um, to crucify an insurrectionist with um, this inscription. This is the, you know, this is what happens if you proclaim yourself king. This is what happens to insurrectionists. Um, not only do we crucify you, which is a humiliating and extended death, 
Um, one, it's it's worth saying. Uh, of course, Jesus was tortured so much so that he was unable to carry the cross. Um, and so Simon of Cyrene had to be uh, called into duty uh, unwillingly. <laughs> he was at the wrong place at the wrong time, or, or who knows, maybe the right place at the right time. Um, because we, we have reason maybe to believe that he became a Christian. Um, but, uh, th you know, he was, he was mocked, humiliated, scourged, uh, tortured, um, had to, had to walk out to, uh, Golgotha, the place of the skull, um, where he slowly suffocated to death. Um, probably naked, um, was also pr probably part of the humiliation. A lot of our depictions of it show him wearing a well-placed loincloth, but some of the humiliation was probably included um, being crucified naked. Um, and of course, the final insult is, is uh, yeah, oh, you said you're king, huh? Look at you now. But of course, Kirk, Luke, uh, Luke's portrayal of this. I'll tell you what, Kirk. Tell me. A king's... Or a queen's coronation has a lot to say about that king or queen in his or her kingdom, right? Yeah. And as I was reading this, I thought of um, just uh, the crown and uh, Elizabeth II's uh, coronation um, in Westminster Abbey. I mean, who is around? You know, you have bishops around her, uh, just uh, lords and ladies, the prime minister. Um that says a lot about that kingdom as you just look around the grandeur there um, and you hear, you know, the, the powerful uh, coronation anthem, Zadok the priest. Um, it says a lot about uh, Queen Elizabeth and, and the, the, the kingdom that she was queen over. And this in a, in a way was sort of Christ's coronation. Um, and just as Luke, has uh, throughout his gospel shown us a, an upside down kingdom, one where uh, if you're going to follow Jesus, you must take up your cross daily. One where uh, those um, who think highly of themselves are humbled and those who are humble will be exalted. Um, where um, in the Magnificat, uh, Mary uh, talks about the, um, the, the mighty have been cast down and, and the lowly have been lifted up. Uh, we see Jesus, who was like us in, in every way except without sin. Um, his coronation is is quite a humble affair, where he is is crucified like a common criminal um, for us, um, re receiving uh, that which was for us. Um, and and of course, we've talked before about so must the Son of Man be lifted up. How it's interesting mm -hmm. how this this humiliation. Um, uh, the, uh, the, uh, John talks about as his glorification, right? That is him being lifted up is his glorification, that his crucifixion is the moment where an earth, earthly perspective would say this is his worst moment, uh, in fact, is, is his glorification. Yeah. And as we think of, of Jesus as king, like this is an important lens to look at him as king, um, as this humble king. Um, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself, becoming born like us. And uh, I don't have the rest of the passage from Philippians 2 uh, memorized, um, but uh, he suffered for us. He was born as one of us, suffered for us um, so that we might um, uh, be given uh, you know, this great exchange where um, he's... he's um, he receives our sin. He receives our sin, and we receive his righteousness and also his glory. Um, and we are adopted as sons and daughters. Um, and so, so that's just a uh, a powerful way to think about his kingdom and just the inauguration, which happened before. Um, you know, we talk about the the coronation here, and then the consummation, which is to come. Um, and we live in this in between time, but we have a sense of like what his kingdom is like. Um. Yeah, uh, I was going to say something about the mockery, but but maybe not. Um, yeah, what do, what do you see here, Kirk? Um, well, I'd like to talk a little bit about the context. Um, sure. We uh, 
this is the uh, the very end of the church year. Um, and this is this is relatively recent, right? Um, Christ the King Sunday. We 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 read this um, because we're we're celebrating Christ the King Sunday, right? And um, uh, this this and evolved... by recent, I think it was like the 1920s. Like right. it was a reaction right, right, right. to to kind of um, we talked about World War II last week, um, and, and uh, kind of the. I'm sorry. We talked about World War One and, and the the reaction to that. Yes, um, that's right. Yeah, I mean it's it's relevant, isn't it? Yeah. In in the in the years after World War One, um, there's this rise of like nationalism and it, that that kind of came out of the finger pointing for like all this weird stuff that led to World War One. Like we learned nothing from it, and so the Pope was like, "Listen, like it's important to um not look to earthly powers as um right. our but not your our, faith in princes." Yeah, um, but like. Christ is king for we seek um, a continuing kingdom. Yeah. Yeah. And so come. this, um, and, uh, so Kirk, I, I know that, uh, uh, you like old things. And so part of you is like, nah, we shouldn't have Christ the king. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not that old. It's, it's uh, a very modern, um, in, uh, kind of, uh, intrusion perhaps in what could right. be, um, our stir up Sunday, uh, right. that, that it interrupts, um, St. Martin's Lent in this 40 days of preparation before, um, the uh, celebration of, uh, the yeah. feast of the, I wasn't going to go there. I wasn't going to the go incarnation. There. I, so I, I, I understand that, but like, it, it is cool that like, this has become an ecumenical thing that like, it was a Pope, um, who, right. uh, instituted it, but, um, kind of the global church has, has yeah. embraced it to say like, yes, this is an important thing for all of us. And Kirk, after an election, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, for us to not um, be too high or too discouraged, not too high or too low, um, but to remember that, in fact, Christ is king and he presides over all. Right. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I think I think um, it probably gathered momentum. This could be completely ahistorical. This could be wrong. But it makes sense to me looking back at the horrors of the 20th century. Um totalitarian obviously fascism with japan and germany italy. italy and we can argue about spain um in the 1930s and 40s um but then uh it, that 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 goes away um but you see in the soviet union um in china north korea north korea cuba nicaragua etc um this this millenarian idea that 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 we can actually roll this boulder up the hill and create paradise on earth um and 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 the most popular instantiation of this instinct right of 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 making a perfect kingdom here is is communism and and this idea like will not die right and so it's interesting that you're right ecumenically um both protestant and catholic Orthodoxy exists in its own like blissful parallel universe in terms of its church calendar, which is a whole nother thing, which is fascinating. But but in 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 the West, kind of the broader Catholic and Protestant West, um, there's a recognition that 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 at least once a year we need to um, bow the knee to the one true King and remember His Lordship overall. Um, and that's that's really that's really important given the historical context, given that totalitarianism does not go away given that um the the large 18 i think it's 18 or 19 percent of all humans are chinese right um the largest country on earth has bent the knee to um to a to a human right like to chairman xi uh and um and and is it's it's just it's it's remarkable um and and not that we're not to point our fingers elsewhere right we, of course, have this instinct in our election season, even Christians get carried away um, and assume that there, there are actually here elections that are existential crises, right? So very famously, there is a there is a um, an essay, uh, the Flight 93 essay, which, um, which circulated uh, before the 2016 election. Um, it turned out to be written by a really smart guy, Michael Anton. And if you read his stuff, and you listen to him. He he's a professor at the Claremont Institute, um, and Claremont University in California. It's both beautiful and it's sort of an an, an engine of good um, political philosophy in the United States. Uh, one of the one of the most um, 
influential political philosophers that you haven't heard of that's affected the way you think about politics? Um, uh, I taught there. Um, this is and um, Henry Jaffa, and uh, he comes from a guy by the name of Leo Strauss. So all this is to say, like, this is this is a, a smart man, but he got he got sucked into this idea that 20, uh, 2016 was potentially it for America, right? Mm. If if we elect um, if we elected Hillary Clinton, and uh, and and a lot of I think millions of Christians got sucked into that too. No, I'm not saying that like Hillary Clinton was the right. I'm not making a political point. Right. I'm making a theological point, um, which is like uh, Donald Trump is not king and Hillary Clinton would not have been king. And Joseph Biden is not king. Um, and uh, and 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 this is a Sunday where as Christians, we get to have a mm -hmm. a um, both a, a a a refreshed and renewed ecclesiology and and a, a renewed, uh, I think, sense of. Um, perspective right um we're we're a self-governing republic so it is incumbent upon us to have a certain level of literacy and engagement right we're not advocating anabaptist kind of uh, politics right where we kind of withdraw um that's that, that there's a responsibility as self-governing citizens right like the citizen is sovereign as we read in our constitution so we are the sovereign right we have no king it's us it's us it's all up to us and yet and yet and yet um, we have a true king. And um, I, I don't, Christopher, did we talk about Augustine City of God last year when we talked about Christ the King? I don't recall. Because we have a model as Christians. Um, the Roman Empire had a really good run. And for a while, it was awful for Christians. And then you have the Edict of Milan. And I always forget, is that in 308, 318, 310, 312? Something. <laughs> it's under Constantine. So it's in the early 300s. Um, and so there's a suddenly um, there's a period where it's good to be Roman. Um, and then you enter the fifth century in the 400s and suddenly it's not good to be Roman at all. You have Huns and Vandals and Goths and Visigoths that are burning your cities and sacking you. And it's clear that the end, the end is near, right? Um, St. Augustine writes this book, The City of God, uh, helping Christians navigate a new problem, which is... Um, what what will it mean to be a Christian if we're no longer Roman citizens? Um, and he contrasts the city of God versus the city of man. And for American Christian anxiety, um, and I don't know, you know, for for British listeners, you know, for I I know that there's political chaos there. It always seems like there's political chaos there. Third prime minister in two months, um, a new a new monarch. Uh, that's a new thing, right? Um, the city, the city of God, uh, is, is, is eternal and stable and, and its lordship is not indeterminate. Um, there is no, there will be no new coronation. No one in the city of God will ever say the king is dead. Long live the king. Right. Well, actually <laughs> that, I mean, given our reading, Christopher, I guess that, that, that did cosmically happen once, right? We, we have the good king that did die and rose again. Right. But um, this is should be a reassuring thing in times of uh, political turmoil. Um, we just we're we are speaking, Christopher, within what forty eight hours of Donald Trump um, announcing that he is going to run for president again, and so we gird ourselves for like just more exhausting commentary over what uh, he what 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 he said, what he what his newest truth social, his newest tweet, if, if Elon Musk lets him back on Twitter. Um, and so I don't know, we may be, may be entering kind of an exhausting political period uh, and yet like be engaged, but in, in the long run, um, Christ is King. And that is, that is far more assurance than the anxiety that we currently feel a lot of American Christians just isn't warranted in light of that fact. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess um, I've been sharing over the past few weeks how um, just uh, called I feel um, to to constant prayer for the world, um, kind of in light of the parable of, of the persistent widow. And and, uh, and 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 last week I talked about encountering somebody who was just complaining about how things were going and just being like, yeah, let's just pray for that. Uh, Kirk, uh, next month at, at uh, 
it was, this wasn't in, in reaction to November being election month, but it was just like a kind of a, a general feeling, uh, feeling led to lead the church in this way. If that December, or at least Advent, actually, it's going to be Advent. So November 27th through um, the uh, December 24th, it, we are committing ourselves as a church to um, daily prayer. And we're going to hand out prayer guides to be praying for the same things each day. And so even as um, God is placed in or in, uh, you know, God has placed leaders, uh, national leaders, local leaders, state leaders uh, to to govern, to, um, you know, defend uh, um, justice and and um, to to essentially to, to punish or at least put away those who are dangerous people. Um, and we will have those things, but those are not our king. Our, our worship, our allegiance goes to Christ. And uh, and uh, the rest of our – we pray also for the governing, that they would govern wisely. That we we yeah. – obviously, we, we could be praying for everyone by name, every single legislator. But but at the very least, our churches in our prayer book pray by name for our, our president, for our governor, mm -hmm. and for our mayor. And um, – and uh, you know maybe during th this uh, season of Advent we'll we'll pray for our city yeah. council by name and, and you know yeah. select others to say you know let them govern wisely because um, because um, that God has put them in place um, in order to, to govern and so um, we pray for those things for justice and for those things that God already wants. Yeah, older prayer books, interestingly, presume take for granted uh, that magistrates. And princes are Christian, mm. um, and uh, there's there's probably like some prayer, some higher level theology that 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 we need to be doing in our universities and seminaries, and some practical theology that we need to be doing in our in our hearts, the hearts of the local parish clergy and laity, um, as we enter an increasingly post Christian era, because like it does, like the the godliness of our magistrates does matter. Um, and yet, we, as, as you are demonstrating, like we'll pray for them nonetheless, right? Um, it's good for them to be just um, as well. Christopher, I was just looking up uh, at the, the, the publication date of the City of God, and you will not believe this. Um, 426 AD. So the Visigoths sack Rome in 410. So, so, so he's uh, seen the fall yes, of, yeah, yes. yeah. The destruction However, of beautiful things, Kirk. You yeah. know the, the the image I have of this is, um, you know how climate activists have chosen to like deface great art and right. famous art, and and like I, you know, it's funny. Like, um, it's not funny. Uh, I think not there's just a, a visceral reaction that that each of us has. Um, whether it's a child witnessing that or or you yes. and I to to just like cr to cringe is probably the wrong word to grieve at the destruction of something that's beautiful. Right. Um, and I'm sure that that's what Augustine felt, you know, watching like civilization crumble at the hands of, of, um, of uh, the horde, the barbarian of barbarians. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yet yeah. like his King is elsewhere. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So this is, this is a tough thing for Augustine. Um, uh, there was sort of a, um, a, a, a naive and um I don't I don't think sinful like Latin chauvinism that you get in a lot of these these church fathers um just kind of uh being grateful and taking for granted the um the the, the learning and the heritage that was theirs as part of the the Latin West and and then as he kind of realizes like oh, this is all washing away it's all gonna go away. Yeah, but but and and then finding rest in the eternality of the city of God. Um and and the one true king. Yeah. You mentioned um there is a there is a tie-in. I said I wasn't gonna talk about it. You mentioned I I had alluded pre-show, pre-show. I had alluded before we hit record to yearning for life in the prayer book on this last Sunday, the Sunday next before Advent, as prayer books used to say, um, all, all of, all of the texts were apocalyptic. Um, and, and yet, and yet, and yet Christopher, there's overlap. 
<laughs> so our text here, our Old Testament text for Sunday is from Jeremiah. And uh, and it and it picks a chunk out of Jeremiah um, that is that that sort of highlights the kingship of Jesus. Let me let me pull this up here. Here it is. Yeah, Jeremiah twenty three, um, one through six. Uh, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Um, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away. Um, then I will gather up the remnant of my flock. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. They shall fear no more, nor, nor shall be dismayed. Neither shall be any missing. Behold, the days are coming to close the Lord when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So we have there, right, we have a, a prophecy Mm -hmm. um, of of the one true key coming. But before this was ever Christ the King Sunday, the Old Testament lesson <laughs> was nonetheless from Jeremiah 23. Interesting. Uh, yes. So it begins on, on, on verse five instead of verse one. Behold, the days are coming, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. A king shall reign and prosper and shall execute, execute justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved. And Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. But whereas our our reading will stop there on Sunday, it continues for two more verses. Therefore, behold, the day shall come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth, which brought up children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country. So um, we have a, 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 a an adventy, an adventy, uh, an apocalyptic uh, lesson, an apocalyptic text. So um, either either way, we sort of we're already peeking ahead towards Advent, or we yearn for the coming again of the one true King. Um, so so even though it's Christ the King Sunday, we still get to be excited about Advent coming, which I'm super excited about Advent coming. Um, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that Advent is coming. Um, do you have a, Do you have anything? Um, any further thoughts on this before we uh, look at our theology segment? I do not. Yeah, I am thankful that Advent is coming. Speaking of which. Uh, very predictably for our theology segment today, we want to talk about uh, Thanksgiving. Um, Thanksgiving uh, was instituted in 1863. Um, it was uh, October 3rd, 1863, uh, proclamation by the President of the United States at that point, Abraham Lincoln. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, but the tradition already had arisen um, that uh, that uh, of celebrating harvest festivals, um, and and this goes back to 1861, a year after um, pilgrims. They were called at the time separatists. Now we, I think we only, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, dear listener. I think we only now call them pilgrims because William Bradford, the uh, the governor of Plymouth Colony, um, uses that. Uh, in the third person to talk about themselves in his in his uh, really remarkable diaries, which become published and famous later, and he speaks ab about them in a third person. These are a hundred uh, at the time they're called separatists. So, if we're talking about um, really kind of narrow um, sects within the Church of England, you had late in Elizabeth's reign in the 1580s and 1590s, a, a group called the Puritans who felt like the English Reformation had not gone far enough, um, that the Church of England was crypto-papist, um, that they needed to do away with vestiges of popery, 
um, like vestments and church calendars um, and, 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 and prayer books, and they needed to fewer, further purify the Church of England. Well, the Puritans actually do stay in the Church of England up until the English Civil War in the 1630s. They're just kind of a cantankerous and dissenting party within the Church of England. But in the meantime, you have kind of more radical splinter cells within the Puritans, like the Pilgrims. And if you think back to your elementary school social studies <laughs> curriculum, um, these separatists did not sail for Plymouth Rock from England, did they? Right. Well, they were from Nottinghamshire, um, which had its own kind of interesting religious ferment. I think there were a lot of crypto, like secret Roman Catholics there, also a lot of separatists that were there. So you have this group that leave this 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 village called Scrooby, great name, Scrooby, <laughs> in, in uh, Nottinghamshire. And um, and they go to the Netherlands, which at that time, there's no active uniformity. So you don't have to attend the Church of Netherlands, right? So they can actually, in, without breaking civil laws, they can kind of have their own church. But they spend like, I think, 12 years there. And uh, and, and and their children are actually becoming Dutch, <laughs> culturally Dutch. So they still think of themselves as Englishmen, right? I mean, it's interesting. They're faithful. They keep kind of sending letters once they reach the new world back to King James, um, reassuring them of like him of their loyalty and um, kind of toasting him. And that's, that's interesting. But in, uh, in, in the, in, in August, no, September 6th, I think of 1620, they leave and it's too late and everything's wrong. Everything's terrible. They arrive in Cape Cod um, in December, in December of hmm. 1620, and the idea was to leave in late winter so they could arrive in summer. And they were kind of naive businessmen. They're kind of holy fools. Um, so they planned it all wrong. Um, and so they arrive late and and it's 102 people and they begin dying immediately. And, 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 and by the time that harvest comes again in September and October, October, half of the colony has survived, right? So I don't remember their exact number, Christopher, but they're in the 50s, right? Um, however, they've they've made an alliance with the local Wampanoag tribe. So the, some of these names you might remember from elementary school, right? Samoset and Tesquanto, who actually knew a bit of English. I forget if Samoset knew English as well. Doesn't matter. What matters is this. Um, you have this beleaguered Wampanoag tribe in modern-day Massachusetts that had been hit bad by the plague. This is why when the pilgrims land, there's kind of nobody there for the first several months. It's really weird. Um, they expected to have a land full of, quote, savages, unquote, as William Bradford wrote in his diary. And yet there's no one. So you have this vulnerable tribe that makes an alliance with um, this vulnerable Plymouth colony. Um, and and this first Thanksgiving in 1621, a year later, uh, we do, they don't even use that word, Thanksgiving, right? That's We, we use that in retrospect. Um, uh, but... For four days, we read in diaries, um, there's, we would now call it a party. They called it um, a feast. Uh, 90 uh, Wampanoag uh, warriors are, are, are come. Um, it says that they bring five extra deer in addition to the English harvest. Um, they play games. Um, they, 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 they crack open um, casks and kegs that have been preserved for this, uh, for this harvest feast. And they give thanks to God that they are even alive and that they have found unlikely friendship. Um, and this has captivated the American. And of course, there's a bunch of fluff builds up around that. But but what I just told you, that's real and that's recorded, right? Um, and, you know, turkey and cornucopias and gourds and and whatever, you know, all of that is, has kind of accumulated since then. Um, but we we get in 1863... Uh, when when America has reached its lowest point, we get this. Um, Abe Lincoln is able to say this, and I'm not going to read all of this to you, but I, there's just a couple lines I want to read to you. And his his writing and his oratory is is always remarkable, always stunning to me, Christopher. Um, he says, "The year, by the way, 18 October 3rd, 1863. Um, this is after the Battle of Gettysburg, so." So bloody, bloody days for Americans. And yet Lincoln is able to write this. 
The year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed, that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and even soften the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of God. In the midst of a civil war of unequaled magnitude and severity, which has sometimes seen to foreign states to invite and provoke their aggressions, peace has been preserved with all nations. Order has been maintained. I don't know when the New York riots, Christopher, were, so I don't know if that's papering over um, a civil disorder. Laws have been respected and obeyed, and harmony has, permit, has prevailed everywhere except in the theater of military conflict. And then he says this, needful diversions of wealth and of strength from the fields of peaceful industry to the national defense have not arrested the plow, the shuttle, or the ship. The axe has enlarged the borders of our settlements and the mines as well of iron and coal as of precious metals have yielded even more abundantly than heretofore. Population has steadily increased notwithstanding the waste that has been made in the camp, the siege, and the battlefield. And the country rejoicing in the consciousness of augmented strength and vigor is permitted to expect continuance of years with large increase of freedom. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are, and this is the key line, the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. It has there, it seems to me fit and proper that they should be solemnly, reverently, gratefully acknowledged, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. This day shall be a day of thanksgiving. It's evermore. Um, isn't that remarkable? That in the middle of a civil war, and we read elsewhere, Lincoln writing, pouring out his heart, um, he's obviously not insensible to the bloodshed, um, and 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 the waste that is the result of this great civil war, um, but he still is a, is is says that it is fitting that we should set aside a day to give thanks to God for all these good gifts from God above. Isn't that amazing? And so I think Thanksgiving is is a great holiday, and we should have all of the lovely traditions, right? Um, whatever stuffing. Um, uh, white meat or dark meat, whatever is your favorite. Um, dark meat is the correct answer, by the way. Whatever pie is your favorite, pumpkin is the correct answer. Whatever, all that's great. But also, we should um, make sure that with grateful hearts, we are giving thanks to Almighty God explicitly and together as family and friends. What do you think? Uh, indeed, yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful holiday, and I love how um, even just the name... Even as it's been supplanted um, culturally by Turkey, football, and, and many other things, just the idea of Thanksgiving um, built into that name is is the, the essence of what it is mm, mm, um, mm. That, that we're doing, is we're giving thanks to God, who is the giver of all good things. Um, and the collect for the day, uh, I think, is, is really powerful, and um, I'm just going to share it kind of bit by bit to reflect on it. It goes like this, Almighty and gracious Father, we give you thanks for the fruits of the earth. I'm sorry, fruits of the earth in their seasons um, and for the labors of those who harvest them. Uh, and so it's interesting, Kirk, at the beginning of, uh, in May, we have um, a Sunday uh, where we, uh, a irrigation Sunday where we pray not just for agriculture, but for all industry, of course. Um, but but acknowledging that, uh, I mean, there's that great hymn, Oh, thank the Lord, oh, thank the Lord. Um, we plow we the plow fields, the and, fields scatter. and scatter ah. the good seed on the ground. But what's the next line? For it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand. Right. I mean, what a powerful... Uh, uh, statement of what what are what the christian 
idea of providence is uh, of God, you know, providing and, and watching over um, creation that we like we plant seed in the in the land, but it is fed and watered by God's almighty hand that like um, the hymn continues. God sends the snow in winter, the warmth to swell the grain, the breezes and the sunshine, the soft, refreshing rain. All good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. We thank you, God. We thank you, God, for all your, your love that um once that seed goes in the ground we have lost control like we can do um our best to water it but um uh plague and pestilence can attack it a disease um uh, hail um many uh in an untimely frost um there are many things uh that could get in the way so any any um harvest that is reaped um is from god's hand the God, so we pray at the beginning of that season and we pray at the end of the season, giving thanks for the fruits of the earth that preserve us. Uh, and Kirk, you um, you pointed out the Thanksgiving readings. One of them is is from Deuteronomy, um, a really powerful reading from Deuteronomy 8. And again, this is pretty good, starting at verse 11. Take care lest you forget that the Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments and his rules and statutes, which I command you today, um, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, and then your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord is your God. So, so it talks about all the prosperity of life. Don't forget that that comes from God, okay? The same God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. The, uh, the God, of course, um, I'm inserting here, um, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know. <laughs> it's funny, like, um, <laughs> that's a play on words. Um, manna kind of literally means like, what is it? That like, they were literally fed with food from heaven. Like, how could you ever forget that the Lord, it is the Lord who provides, and yet they did. Um, and, and so we have this reading on Thanksgiving Day to, to remind us of, of, like, God's caring providence for us, that he watches over us. Um, and we could sentimentalize it uh, and and sing uh, his eyes on the sparrow, and he know he watches me. Uh, but but I think that these readings and, and colics uh, do a better job. And, of course, uh, there's labor involved. Okay, so that's the first line in the collect. Make us, we beseech thee, faithful stewards of thy great bounty. And I'll stop there. Kirk, uh, we are but stewards of the Lord's provision. Mm. Things we have are not our own. They come from the Lord. And uh, when we die, we can't take them with them. We are mere stewards of the things that the Lord blesses us with. And so stewards means that, like, we we don't own it. Um, uh, we didn't earn it. Um, and But also in steward, um, there, there's the, the sense of taking good care of it, right? In, in yes. stewardship, mm -hmm. so, so we ask, uh, we we beseech thee. Um, I'm sorry, we pray faith. Make us, we pray, faithful stewards of your great bounty, for the provision of our necessities. Um, so the, all the bounty is for our necessities, but also for the relief of those who are in need. Remembering that, like, not only do we have enough, we have a little extra. Let us remember that those are in need. Um, though, remember, let us remember those who are in need to the glory of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um. And yeah, the doxology kind of goes on um, there. A beautiful prayer that that um, summarizes and encapsulates uh, our posture on the day of Thanksgiving, um, uh, giving thanks uh, to to God for His provision. Um, and so, in, in essence, yes, it's it's for the harvest, for the fruit of the earth, um, for our family. But um, again, just like Christmas, Christmas isn't about family. It's about the incarnation, the birth of Christ. Right. Um, but it's appropriate right. um, at both to to give thanks for the family that we have. Um, but again, it's it's we don't want to sentimentalize it and just say, oh, um, Thanksgiving is just about family and being together. It's it's no. it's about um, a properly giving thanks to God for the things He's given us. And and uh, as Kirk, uh, this idea we have of uh, lex orandi, lex credendi, this idea that that worship is formative. As we give thanks, as we pray, that forms our kids um, to recognize uh, God's stewardship and to—I'm sorry, God's providence—and to realize that we are mere stewards. Yeah, Amen. So, my final thought is this: I just want to end with this little story. Uh, one night, five, six years ago, 
driving home from my mother and father-in-law's um, house on Thanksgiving, I I was listening to NPR, as 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 I do, <laughs> inflicted on my poor children, and uh, I was listening to a program called Giving Thanks, which is an American public media radio special that airs nationwide on Thanksgiving Day, uh, and it consists of a variety of things like classical music, songs, and dramatic readings, all related to Thanksgiving. Um, and and there's some alteration, but some a particular some particular individual features. Are, are, are fixed. And, and three of them are from Charles Lawton's 1962 album um, called The Storyteller. And, uh, and, and he, he um, Charles Lawton was, uh, was, a, was, I think, an English actor who became actually very popular in America. He would go around America reciting the, uh, the, the Gettysburg Address. Hmm. Um, in, in, in a sonorous voice, spellbinding American audiences. Um, he, he appeared, if you, you look him up on YouTube, you'll see him joking with Abbott and Costello. And, and suddenly he has him in 15 seconds, almost in tears as he begins to recite um, the Gettysburg Address. Anyhow, um, he tells a couple stories and, and, and we love those stories um, about uh, as a young man meeting uh, a, 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 a stained glass um, window specialist named Etienne Uve at Chart Cathedral. He also reads a Jack Kerouac program uh, poem called, I think, Dharma Burns. <laughs> Jack Kerouac pogrom. Not that, not that. Um, <laughs> and then he he pulls open the Bible because this is this was still America in 1962, and he recites Psalm 104 um, in his sonorous, uh, trained. Um, received pronunciation, English accent. And I will not do that. But I just want to read a couple of verses that always stick with me. Um, and the King James, the King James version that I have in front of me, um, titles Psalm 104, God's Marvelous Creation. Um, oh, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain. Um, and I'm going to, that's the first couple of verses, but I'm going to go ahead to a couple of verses to verse, uh, verse 10. He sendeth the springs into the valley which run among the hills. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. By them shall the fowls of the heaven have their habitation, which sing among the branches. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. He causeth the grass to grow for the cattle, an herb for the service of man that he may bring forth food out of the earth and wine that maketh glad the heart of man and oil to make his face to shine and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. The trees of the Lord are full of sap, the cedars of Lebanon which he hath planted, where the birds make their nest. As for the stork, the fir trees are her house. The high hills are a refuge for the goats. Uh, and it goes on and on. And you get a sense of creation being held so carefully in the palm of his hand. Um, Christopher, you cited we, we plow the fields and scatter, which we sang last Sunday as our recessional hymn. And I'm becoming an old softy in... Uh, in my in my fifth decade in life, and I I can hardly ever make it through that hymn mm. without uh, without beginning to tear up. Um, and 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 where you might ask, where in particular do I begin to tear up, Christopher? It's the second verse. Um, he only is the maker of all things near and far. He paints the wayside flower. He lights the evening star. The winds and waves obey him. By him the birds are fed. Much more to us his children. He gives our daily bread. Um, the sense of God's providence at mm. the end of the year um, when the harvest is gathered in 
that he holds us in the cradle of his palm, like the same power that lights the evening star um, assures us of our daily bread. That's just lovely. That's my my final rambling, wandering thought. So listen to that. I'm going to put a link. I'm going to put a link in to that particular program, Charles Lawton, um, which ends with him with him reading Psalm 104 from mm. the King James. Not the Coverdale, which is in our, our, our prayer book, but still, it's pretty good. <laughs> Any final Thanksgiving thoughts, Christopher? No. Let's move on. To, uh, Kirk, shall we pray? Let's pray. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Most merciful Father, we humbly thank you for all your gifts so freely bestowed upon us, for life and health and safety, for strength to work and leisure to rest, for all that is beautiful in creation and in human life. But above all, we thank you for there are spiritual mercies in Christ Jesus our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Almighty and everlasting God, whose will it is to restore all things in your well-beloved Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords, mercifully grant that the peoples of the earth, divided and enslaved by sin, may be freed and brought together under his most gracious rule, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week.